so it's it's sort of a thumbs up in the background, but an important one. It says, usually when this relationship changes trend, the net trend of the two metals will go with that new direction, meaning positive for silver and gold, but silver more so. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcadia Economics. And excited today because I have Michael Oliver of Momentum Structural Analysis back on the show. And we've talked with Michael a couple times throughout the years. And in particular, Michael sent out a, an update on the silver market and some of the things that he sees happening there. And especially in the midst of quite a volatile time in the financial world. It's great to have Michael back on the show to dig into everything that's going on. So, Michael, thanks for making some time and joining me today. And how's everything going with you? Fine, Chris. Look forward to it. Well, I guess the best place to start in the recent commentary you put out, you mentioned silver, my prime place to be now and perhaps for the next year or two going forward. I'll preface that with how you've mentioned in some of our past calls that silver has been a tricky one to analyze, yet with that said, perhaps you could take it from there and some of the things that you're looking at in silver right now that have piqued your interest. Mm -hmm. Well, obviously, I, I have a fundamental backdrop that is in the back of my mind, but I do not allow it to enter into our reports or to alter my assessments in any way. We use, we look at price charts secondarily, we look at momentum primarily. And by momentum, we've created our own constructs. We don't use things like MACD or RSI, those popular tools. Uh, but when we analyze that situation of the gold-silver situation, you have to look at the broader context, not just fundamentally, but technically, because there's interrelationships, some positive, some negative to what gold and silver are doing. We all know that. Um, one of the factors that is sometimes only modestly in, influential to the trend of gold, for example, is the dollar. A lot of people think it's very important. Right now, it is hyper important. In fact, the dollar is almost trading hour by hour, the same as gold inversely. They're that tightly inversely correlated. That's not normally the case. But I think right now we have a crisis pending that the central banks did not plan on. It's hit them in the windshield over the last week or two, <clears throat> especially the Brits. And it's not involving some remote emerging markets bond market. Uh, it's involving the UK and their gilts. Their yields are rising rapidly. Okay, that was so are ours, big deal, right? But the liquidity in their market is evaporating. You can't have that in a major bond market, government bond market. If that happens, that's like a nuclear event. Yeah. Uh, and we know that. The Fed knows that, though they don't like to talk about it. But suddenly this dollar emerges to the upside, which after a um, 2000, let's see, 2015 to about May of this year, the dollar was stuck in a very narrow, about a 12% wide range would go up and go down, up and down. It was like meaningless. So, you know, you, the trends were reversed every six months. But during that time, gold doubled. So that, that shows that there is a lack of correlation between the dollar and gold, sometimes on the large trends. In fact, I could, I, we've shown other examples of this 
in the past over the last 50 years where there have been reasonably good trends in the dollar that happen to be coincident with the similar trends in gold. But on a near-term basis now, the dollar is definitely and gold are inversely related, almost now down to the hour. And I think the reason is gold knows that that's the prime focus of not just what's going on in the Forex markets, you know, the valuation of our piece of paper versus the European piece of paper, the Japanese, it's, you know, garbage versus garbage. But now suddenly it's important because it could impact central bank policy, something that could impact it in a way that the central banks didn't plan on when they started on this let's raise rates thing, thinking they could fight commodity inflation. Instead, all they've succeeded in doing is breaking the inflation bubble of the asset category they created from 2009 to 2021, stock market, other paper assets, went vertical, bigger than any bull market in U.S. stock market history in terms of percentage gain. S&P went up sevenfold, NASDAQ went up 16-fold. There's no prior bull market in history going back to 100 years that's anywhere comparable to that. And so when that comes unwound, you can't stop it once it's fully broken. And we are fully broken. We declared bearish position in January for the NASDAQ 100 in February for the S&P. And since then, it's been nothing but down in, in layers. So they've broken inflation, but it's not the inflation they wanted to break. But one of the consequences now is that the bond markets have joined in with the stock markets. This isn't always the case. Usually pension funds, for example, have the luxury of saying, well, you know, we'll lighten up our stock position and increase our bond position. That isn't working now. So suddenly in in the UK, you have insolvent pension funds. And by the way, ours probably aren't too much better shape. Uh, In fact, the assumption is that US pension funds are down well over 20% this year, which is somewhat reflective of the stock market, et cetera. So it makes sense. But the problem is they don't have any place to go. None of the major portfolio alternatives that a portfolio might seek or a pension fund might seek for relative safety or return doesn't work anymore. The only thing down in the single digits this year is gold, down six, seven percent on the year or something. You know, compare that to the SP, the NASDAQ, to the T-bond, so forth. So anyway, now it's suddenly over in the UK, we have a problem with government bonds, long-term government bonds, the guilds where they're not just going down, but they're going down in thin air. And market participants are sensing the lack of liquidity, which is quite fearful. Now, the Brits have intervened a couple of times in the last few weeks, and it stopped the sell-off in the pound and, you know, to some extent abated their problem with the bond market. But it hasn't worked. In other words, it it was temporary. And then people who are watching that market say, well, oh, that worked. And then then uh, two days later, it didn't work. So pretty soon, there could you could reach a point easily where market participants, I'm talking institutional now and global, could say, hey, it's out of control. Well, they can't be. You can't have British bonds get out of control. The world could end. You know, here we go. <laughs> they didn't expect this to happen. So now the Fed likes to say, well, you know, we look at our data points over here. No, you can't do that. Anybody with their head screwed on knows you can't just say, oh, what are the U.S. data points? First off, the data points they're looking at, like employment, are very much lagged to reality. We know that. But when you have things going on like this, like, you know, we had illiquidity in the the MBA, the mortgage, uh, mortgage-backed security market back in 2008 and 
And it created a panic because of the illiquidity, not just the decline, but the illiquidity. Well, now it's shifted to government bonds. Well, that seems to help the dollar right now. And in fact, it is. You can look at the hourly bars and look at the British pound hourly bars. And, you know, they're going down, we're going up. <clears throat> at the close of last month, via our technical work, using quarterly momentum for the dollar index. Now, what do I mean by that? At the end of every quarter, we recalibrate with the three-quarter moving averages. It's like a 200-day average, but it only changes once every quarter. Right. <clears throat> we measure the price action of a given market in relation to that changing metric. Now, the average itself is not always important. It's not crossing over that average or over below, above or below that matters. It's where it's behaved in relation to that average before. And what's very curious about the dollar, and the inverse is true with gold, by the way, I'll get to that in a second. Was it in the second, late in the second quarter of this year, there's a reaction low in the dollar, but price came down and stopped. I'll give you the exact number, 6.1% above the three-quarter moving average, and then rallied. <clears throat> and then in the last quarter, there were three times that the dollar index dropped in price and halted at 6.1% over the three-quarter average. It's kind of eerie that they would stop at the same percent, not touch 6%, but stop 6.1 over, give or take one hundredth of a decimal. <clears throat> we put out a number applicable for this quarter, as of last quarter's close, last Friday's close, or the Friday before, excuse me, <clears throat> that said if the dollar index traded to a certain number, it would blow that floor out. It was only apparent on a momentum chart, not on a price chart. Okay. The sell-off stopped at 6.19% over the new three-quarter average. So basically stopped at the same place that the reaction lows of the prior quarter had stopped at, and the reaction low late in the second quarter had stopped at. So we have a floor. If you saw this momentum chart, you would say, oh, good grief. If it ever breaks that floor, it's going to come apart. And we agree especially now that the dollar has stopped right in front. It was 21 hundredths of a point arithmetically or one-tenth of a percent on a percent scale in front of our trigger number. Now, that same time that that occurred, the first week of the new quarter, on the downside in the dollar, which didn't break our number, and it was not a round number. It's not some price chart thing like, you know, if you touch this rounded number, you'll break down. It's very decimalized. We did the same thing with gold in reverse there was an upside number that we wanted to see. Now, last quarter, we closed gold at 1660 area. And our number was up in the 1720s. We wanted to see a daily close above this certain number. And we'll give you this precise number. The October gold contract, which is still the front month, closed $1 below our trigger number and then pulled back since pullback over the last five, six trading days from without breaking out over that number. So both markets precisely halted at what we consider to be major momentum trend structures that if they go through them, everything reverses. And frankly, given the behavior of both markets at our numbers, we suspect that those numbers are being set up for structural breakouts. Because whenever we see a market go to a level that we predefine and halt at it, either a floor or a ceiling. Usually it's for the purpose of later exploiting that as a structure. So now what's going on right now is that we're getting a lot of noise. Dollar's not going back to the highs of last month. 
but it's gotten you know within a point or so of it. Gold's not got gone back to the lows, but it's dropped down within fifty dollars or so of last quarter's lows, and you're getting this turmoil. I suggest everybody you sort of don't pay attention to the day to day here. Uh, I would basically circle the recent low the dollar made dollar index and a recent high that gold made. And if you ever go through them, you, you break it out. Okay. So now these events that are going on in the bond market in the UK could be the trigger that just like yanking the table, the tablecloth and all the dishes go up in the air where all the, the measured plans of the central banks just get tossed because they have to put out a fire. Yep. There's no choice. No matter what they want to say about raising rates to fight commodity inflation, they have to put out the bond market fire that they themselves help create. And just like the, the, the UK reversed monetary policy overnight, don't be shocked that the Fed has to do something similar. Uh, and the EU has to do something similar in order to defend what? Government bonds. So we're in a very delicate situation for them. I chuckle because I think it's justice due. I think it's likely to come undone. And either way, they have if they alter policy, what's that going to do to gold? If most of the selling pressure we've had in the last year and a half in gold, especially since the March high of this year, is based on the assumption that the Fed is in control and they're going to bring, quote, inflation down, then if anything comes in to interfere with that assumption, like, oh, gosh, they have a fire they have to put out, therefore they can't continue, then all of a sudden that assumption goes out the window very quickly. Okay, now to silver. Why do we emphasize silver? In the major bull markets in gold and silver, silver tends to outperform gold. In fact, it's true with even modest bull legs in gold and silver. And we go back 50 years and have analyzed the relationship between the two. Well, if you run a spread chart, and this is popular with a lot of people where they look at the number of ounces of silver to gold, we, we measure it on a percent basis, same, same type of thing, where silver has been declining in relative performance to gold since uh, early 2021. Now, this is when silver, for a second time, it got up to almost 30 in the summer of, of 2020, pulled back some. And then in January of 2021, silver went back up and actually nipped out that price high to actually trade it over 30. At that point, the spread relation between gold and silver turned down, meaning silver started to underperform gold on a relative performance basis. And sure enough, during that time, the price of silver also declined, not in a collapse mode, just in a constant staircasing, boring type mode, but a consistent trend, all the while that that spread was also deteriorating, meaning silver was going down on more on a percent basis than it was gold. We all know that. However, last month's close in silver on that spread and the momentum of the spread is what we focus on, broke out to the upside. So ignoring to some extent the price action of silver, which right now is trading two bucks off the low of last month, which was down there 17, we're 19 something. Um, that spread relationship we think has turned. So it's, it's sort of a thumbs up in the background, but an important one that says 
Usually when this relationship changes trend, the net trend of the two metals will go with that new direction, meaning positive for silver and gold, but silver more so. So we think that's a background positive. Silver has done things on momentum basis that gold has not done in terms of upside breakouts. But we still want the mama market to cross its hurdle. And that hurdle was defined the end of last quarter, last month, and we stopped $1 in front of it and didn't close that over the breakout level. So again, without being precise, it's up in the 1720s. If we see that, then as far as we're concerned, that's the last positive that we're gonna offer. Uh, that at that point, we think the two could shift in a more obvious manner to the upside. And I suspect it's gonna be somewhat due to the factors we just talked about. The crisis in the UK, whether or not Fed policy will continue. And we know there's a lot of people out there who are Fed-friendly economists who are screaming, oh, you've gone too far, you've gone too far. And uh, Powell likes to think, you know, well, we're above this. Well, you know, tell the UK that. So anyway, fun times. Well, it, it's certainly interesting. So far, they, they've been talking about staying focused on inflation, and they've mentioned that they're noticing things happening around the world, yet focused on inflation and interesting how quickly that could potentially change. Although, Michael, in terms of what you were saying there, what is really the driver? Is it that some of these things that are happening out there generate the trading action and then that's led to some of the indicators you've seen? Or is it that these indicators are going to be causing people to trade that exacerbates some of these moves? Or what's the cause and effect? Well, the, the fundamental cause and effect is, is the degradation of fiat currencies. Okay. Used to be they would be at least be backed by gold until Nixon came along, a Republican, by the way, and, uh, you know, detached uh, the dollar from gold in the international market. So, you know, all the currencies went fiat at that point, meaning just a piece of paper, throw it up in the air. And they change in relative value to one another. But who cares? They all degrade over time. Whether you own the euro, the, the pound, uh, the, the yen, whatever, it's losing buying value year by year, decade by decade, constantly. Why? Because the money growth in all those countries is constantly going up. Why? In order to fund government bonds generally uh, and, and to defend certain things they want to defend, such as paper assets. Gold knows this. I think to some extent that explains why if you look at a year-to-date graph, a simple you know, little chunky bar graph of what's up down this year, well, everything's down this year. Some things are down 25% S&P, NASDAQ down 30-something Bonds down, you know, big double digits, muni bonds down double digits, high yield corporate debt down. But then there's gold down, there's little single percent digits. How come gold's not collapsing like the S&P or the NASDAQ 100? 100%? Why isn't it keeping par with them? After all, the Fed is after, quote, inflation, right? Well, how come it's not beating up the Bloomberg? Bloomberg's well up on the year, Bloomberg Commodity Index. Gold's down slightly on the year. You know, if you're a portfolio manager, you own nothing but gold bullion. You're beating the heck out of your peers. Anyway, why does gold behaving this way? I think because it knows that this multi-decade syndrome of fiat money has finally led to a situation in which it's going to come into doubt. 
And when I say come into doubt, I mean where a lot of people step forward, maybe some politicians here and there, some intellectuals, some economists, and say, you know what? This hasn't been working. It's just been a constant boom-bust cycle with degradation all along the way. And sometimes it takes a crisis, you know, including in-the-street-type crisis, to cause these major changes in outlook. I think gold knows that. Gold knows its money. A lot of people around the world knows it's money, it's real money, and that ultimately when the fiat crisis, regardless of which one, which paper money is beating the other right now, that's really sort of irrelevant in the long term. Ultimately, they shift to what they know will hold its value because it's always held its value. And <clears throat> instead of that process of decision-making and of doubt taking many decades to occur and, and so forth, it happens so swiftly, much like the 2008 situation with the, with the mortgage-backed securities. You know, all of a sudden the light switch is hit. In this case, we're talking government bonds, pension funds, municipals, uh, governments unable to fund themselves, state governments unable to fund themselves. And it happens so rapidly that it's a crisis-type event. And I think gold knows that's pending. Most, a lot of the gold investors don't, I think, take that into context. I don't think they're aware of that. They're looking at day to day and, you know, oh my gosh, my mining stock has performed badly. And they have, definitely. But that's another issue, too, because uh, over the last, well, right now, for example, GDX, uh, one of the popular gold mining ETFs, if you shorted it, August, September, okay, three months ago, early July, okay, it's where it was then. Okay, so something happened in that decline in the mining stocks. Yes, they got beat up pretty bad through this early summer, midsummer, but since then they've gone sideways. So to some extent, I think the miners even know that they're underpriced. And, you know, you can only beat me up so far. I'm not going to go to zero. And I think that's being reflected now in the mining action over, the, you know, since especially since early July. Where you, if you draw a line backward to the sideways, you'll see you're around 24 bucks on GDX, either side of it, and that's where you were in July. So I think that's the place to be is in the monetary metals. I use the word monetary because I'm not talking about platinum or palladium here, I'm talking about gold and silver. But I think that the emphasis should be on the ones that have been underperformers up to date, and that's namely silver and the miners rather than gold. But watch the mama. I want her to break out. And those numbers are back up around the highs we just made a week or so ago. I want to close the day up there. If I see that, I think then it's, you know, we've done it. And there's also a number on the dollar that's, uh, you know, a rat's hair below last week's traded low. So if we see that, then I think that the things are shifting. Yeah. And, and in terms of what you mentioned, how people still look at gold as money, I wonder if that has changed at least the percentage of people who are of that school of thought today versus 20 or 40 years ago when it was more perhaps an ingrained part of the culture going closer back to when we did have the gold backing, which does that lead to an environment similar to what you've been describing where once it happens, because there's so few people in gold and silver yeah. now that you have that additional factor where you're whipsaw. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're really trying to yeah. push it. I in think there. it's especially the, you know, the, the new investor, uh, which is the new investors already deviated to a large extent from their fathers and grandfathers in that they've gone to crypto. All right. You know, 
Yeah, crypto is not backed by anything, but at least it's not unlimited in quantity, and it's not governed by government. You know, where they issue oh, there's more they issue more crypto. You know, it has a limit in the the, the quantity that can be produced. So to that extent, it is has a virtue well above fiat currencies. So they've at least made that revolutionary step, and I think a lot of them have also uh, moved over to looking at silver as well. I think there's a lot of that that crowd, the crypto crowd, is also favorable to silver. Uh, I guess because it's poor man's gold. But you're quite right. I think that 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 somewhat different void between the acceptance of gold as legitimate real money over time is diminished, such that it could be a whiplash effect when the new reality sets in and people say, "Colly, you know, my dad was right." <laughs> yeah, we have some of that. Uh, and, and so when the demand switch does occur, it could be dramatic, and I think it will be. I think when you go from incremental trends, which we're in in a lot of, like the stock market declined so far, uh, it's been hefty since we issued sales in January and February on a percent basis, but it's not been a crash. It's been an arm wrestling match all the way down, including a rally halfway back to the high in August, you know, that fooled a lot of people. Um, so it's been incremental up to this point, but I think it could get dramatic pretty quickly in a lot of these markets in which case I would expect, particularly if the dollar snaps that number and gold goes through its number that we've predefined, uh, that the process is underway. Yeah, and especially since you mentioned how we have this situation going on in the UK where it doesn't seem like they're getting much closer to an answer as we saw the reversal of that or, or the extension of the QE twice earlier this week. I know they were planning on quantitative. They're still scheduled for quantitative tightening at the end of the month, becoming harder to see that happen. Yeah. And again, in your report, you also mentioned how gold about three times since 1970, when it's moved, we've seen an 8x move. Yep. And you, I believe you see at least the possibility of something like that occurring. Well, if... If something happens since early 1970s, before gold even started trading in the U.S., which was 1975, gold went from the low 30s to 200 bucks. Okay, during that time, by the way, the stock market from 73 to 74 was in a major down move. So gold was going up, stock market was going down. Remember that. Okay, that was a sevenfold move almost for gold. Okay, next one was in 1976 low. Gold corrected 50%, got down to like 103 dollars. It went up to 850. It's an eightfold move over three and a half years. Okay. Not remember that one. Okay. Stock market was in a sideways range all during that time. So it was not participating. Gold was doing something on its own. Okay. Then we have another move from 1999, 2000 period where gold was trading at 215 an ounce and went to 1920 over a 10, 11 year period with a, with a quick, quick interruption involving three weeks within the month of October of 2008 where you had a quick crash in gold that was sympathetic with the stock market. But then the sympathy ended, gold just took off again and waved goodbye to the stock market, which took four years to get back to its old high. It took gold four months to get back to its high. And gold went up eightfold again. So we have an eightfold, an eightfold, and a near sevenfold. Okay. Our bear market low was 1,050-something. Actually, I think 1,040-something in late 2015. So we've doubled. Okay. And then you went into this boring range. If you stand back and look at it on a logarithmic scale chart going back 50 years, you could hardly see a decline in gold. All you see is it's a sleeping market up here, you know, between 1700 roughly and 2000. 
with a brief interruption below. Uh, if it goes another eightfold move, which is to say, oh, it did what it did three times before, big deal. We certainly have the fundamentals in the background that could cause that. We all know that. But if that occurred, gold would be $8,000 an ounce. Okay, fine. Let's say that's all it does, which I find kind of hard to believe because we're in a, in a eventual a situation in the world right now, financially, market-wise, every, every political-wise even, that argues for something more. But let's just say an eightfold move. Go back and study the ratio of silver as a percent of the price of gold. And you'll see that there was one time it was six and a half percent the price of gold. A couple times it was well over 4%. Many times it was 3%. And a majority of the years, that 50 year period, at least traded over 2% of the price of gold. Okay, right now silver is about 1.3% the price of gold. If silver merely went up and did the routine of going to, let's say, 2.1% of the price of gold, which is where it's been, like, of the last 50 years, it's been the majority of the months of, of those years have seen that sort of ratio, okay? Then silver, if gold rate 1,000, silver be, uh, you know, what, $160 plus. You know, 20 to 160, pretty good multiple. <clears throat> if silver went back to 3% of the price of gold, which, again, is not extraordinary when you look back over 50 years, it's done it multiple times. Silver would be $210 an ounce if gold just went to 8000 So again, I'm not saying it's got to happen, but if the gold trend is in fact merely in pause in the middle of, a, of another, yet another seven to eight-fold move, then the silver-gold ratio, if silver is in fact turned versus gold, which we argue it has, then it wouldn't be shocking to see silver go up to 3% the price of gold. Well, good grief, you know, at $8,000 gold, that means find me a market that can go up that much from 20 bucks to 200 and something without using leverage and not be unrealistic in so doing in terms of what it's done in the past on a ratio basis. So it's entirely reasonable that's happened. The issue now is getting us up out of this recent pullback in silver and gold. We think silver's given enough positives. The silver gold ratio has given us positives. We're waiting on gold to give us that one positive, one remaining. And that's a close, a daily close in, in our reports that we specified. It's back up where we were a week ago, but just $1 higher. <laughs> and so with all that said, is there any single focus point that you're looking at that would be driving that? Is it just some of these government bond markets or if there is a, a, an acknowledgement of a more severe situation than the Fed has led on so far? Or what What do you keep your eyes focused on that might it's be? Both. It's both. It's it's a paper asset bubble. First off, it's just bigger than any stock market bubble we've ever had in terms of multiples that occurred over 11-year period, 12-year period, 2009 through 2012, thanks to Ben Bernanke, who just got his uh, Nobel Prize, Prize for printing money. And uh, you know, he, he's a good guy to listen to because he just said the other day, Oh, no, the, the problems, the debt problems now are nothing compared to the, what they were back then. Well, he's the same guy who told us, but a lot of people, not a lot of people, a few select people were saying, we've got a real estate bubble, it's going to collapse. He said, oh, there's no real estate bubble. Okay, so he's the same guy. So he's, a, you know, maybe a perfect negative indicator. Uh, but now all of a sudden, we thought it might be the stock market decline that would cause the Fed to change its view because the stock market decline is not going to occur just as some mathematical thing. It's going to have real world implications. 
-hmm. It's going to hurt people, particularly when the bubble is not just a doubling. After all, from 2003 to 2007, the S&P doubled. And then the bear market that followed, we considered to be a disaster. We've just gone up sevenfold in the S&P and 16-fold in the NASDAQ. If that bubble breaks, what's on the other side of that compared to the 2009 situation? So the central banks have created a problem. They've now undone the problem by pricking the balloon. And as their perception is, oh, my gosh, we've gone too far, which now is becoming a chorus out there. Uh, in fact, yesterday, two Fed governors, including Brainerd, said, oh, we might have to pause a little bit. We might have to think about this. So they're getting the message. Well, that's not built into the gold market yet. Still people thinking that, oh, you can't fight the Fed, which is not a true truism, by the way, in any stretch of the imagination. So, but now all of a sudden we have the new variable, which frankly we didn't expect. We expected the bond market to go down hard and rates to go up, but not to have the crisis implications that we're seeing out of the UK, where illiquidity becomes the attribute. Because illiquidity is, that's a disastrous word. Decline, one thing. Illiquidity, that's another. Uh, and that's when you get the panic mode quickly. So uh, that's a new variable that suddenly jumped on the screen. And uh, it could be something that takes us from incremental to chaos theory. Yeah, it's certainly concerning to see the events of the last couple of weeks. And then especially to see that the yield has spiked back up even after they made the announcement, which. You think, you think that would have stopped it? No. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's a bit concerning. See, now they're increasing the size. They're adding the inflation lick bonds. And so far, the yield just spiking up there. So we'll certainly be keeping an eye on that. And. Michael, just want to thank you for everything you shared here. You laid it out pretty clearly, uh, especially because I know it's not the easiest time. Because like you said, this does have real world implications. And I think people are becoming concerned, especially uh, as you pointed out. We've heard a lot of promises from the central bank, inflation, transitory, Bernanke saying subprime was contained. And I think perhaps more than ever, people are starting to wonder, do do they really have it as tightly under control as as we've been led to believe, although they don't know, they don't know that they just pricked inflation, the bubble, but it's paper inflation. It's not commodity inflation. Bloomberg commodity index is trading at 110 right now. It was at 260 or 280 back in 2008, 2009. You know, it's, it's hardly back up to levels of 2011 or 2008. Yes, it's had a rapid percent increase from where it was a year or two ago in terms of percent gain. But in terms of absolute price level, it's, it's trivial and it's only just begun. So when they try to prick the bubble, they pricked one all right, but it's the one they made and, and they can't undo it. These bubbles, when they start to come undone, you can't you can't patch them up. That's history. <laughs> it doesn't seem like it. And we're, we're recording on October 11th. I think this will be posted on Thursday the 13th, although couple of weeks away from uh, the next Fed meeting and we'll sure be interesting to see what happens over these these mm -hmm. next few weeks uh, obviously 75 basis points priced in right now um, would be interesting to see the reaction should something change significantly enough that that doesn't happen but yeah we'll keep an eye on that and Michael can you let folks know where they can find access to your research uh, I think people will, will appreciate everything you shared here today and Sure. Go to go to OliverMSA.com. MSA stands for Momentum Structural Analysis. 
and there's a, a spot there that says uh, home. Click on that and you'll see my lovely picture. And underneath it's my email address. Click on it and ask for some sample reports. I'd be happy to send them to you. Well, I appreciate that, Michael. It's been great getting your reports and digging in. And uh, I know especially for the, well, the fundamentals too, but also for the technical guys out there. Uh, always great to have you on the show and share what you're seeing. So thanks again for making some time to join me. And we'll have to do this again soon. And certainly going to be interesting times coming forward. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Michael. Great to catch up with him as always. And certainly for someone who's been doing this as long as he has and has his body of knowledge, interesting to hear the silver comments. Also interesting to hear his thoughts about the situation in England with their bond crisis, which really does not sound ideal and seems to be escalating almost by the day. But hopefully you found that one helpful. Before we wrap up, would like to thank BlackRock Silver who brought us today's video. And to find out a little bit more about what BlackRock has been doing, here is a quick clip from their CEO, Andrew Pollard. BlackRock is advancing our flagship Tonopah West Silver Project, which is in the silver state of Nevada, halfway between Las Vegas and Reno. Our maiden resource estimate established that Tonopah West is the highest grade resource stage silver gold project on the planet. Since we made our discovery in July of 2020, uh, we've done 120,000 meters of drilling and uh, we've just recently put out our maiden resource estimate, which highlighted uh, 20 million ounces of silver and 238,000 ounces of gold. At 446 grams per ton silver equivalent, uh, it looks like a very rich deposit. We've seen significant return on investment via the drill bit. Our discovery costs are 62 cents per ounce. We're just going to keep deploying capital and adding ounces. And as you can see below here, comment from old friend Jeff Clark, who mentions their Nevada project is now the highest grade undeveloped silver project in the world. And we can be sure that the next resource will be bigger as they have done step out drilling, extending their area of mineralization. So great to hear good news from BlackRock. Appreciate them bringing us today's show. Appreciate Michael Oliver for chiming in on today's show. And for everyone at home watching, sure appreciate you being here. And I will see you again tomorrow.